Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Davey Obamont. Davey, how was your week? Uh, yeah, pretty pretty good. Um, fairly quiet on the racing front, um, but uh, well, in terms of major series, there's obviously still lots of racing action going on in America, in Japan, in Europe. So lots to still look out for, but um, yeah, good week overall. I'm glad to hear it, and we've got a great show for you today. We'll quickly recap this week's racing action, bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's to come in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. Let's quickly take you through what happened on track this week. We had GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS, for a pair of rounds at Road America. In race one, it was the number 33 Windward Racing Mercedes-AMG of Russell Ward and Philip Ellis, who took top honors. In the Pro-Am class, it was the 93 Racers Edge Motorsport Acura of Ashton Harrison and Mario Farnbarker, continuing in their fine form this season. In the M class, the number 23 TriRC Competizione Ferrari took victory and it was the same result in race two. Everybody finished in the same order. Notably, though, the number 93 Racers Edge Motorsport Acura, again, of Harrison and Farnbacher, did finish on the final step of the podium, their sixth podium this season and the hundredth win in class for Racers Edge Motorsport in professional sports car racing. In G2 World Challenge Asia, powered by AWS, it was a pair of rounds at Sportland Sugo. In race one, the overall win went to the number 27 Yogibo Racing Ferrari of Naoki Yokomizu and Kyoto Fujinami. And in the second race, it was the number 47 D-Station Racing Aston Martin of Satoshi Hoshino and Tomonobu Fuji, who barely took victory over the number 777 Car Guy Racing Ferrari, who blew a 22-second lead and celebrated too early and allowed the 47 to pass them at the line and win by just four-tenths of a second. Yeah, it, it should be noted, though, that there was a little bit of a background to that in, in that apparently that Ferrari was also dealing with some tyre issues with a tyre, I, th- I think it was going down or, or struggling in sort of the final section of that race. So it was really quite slow. But yeah, then um, it was a bit of a painful one where you could see that it's it's an, it's an often repeated thing in sports car racing where somebody sort of flashes the lights as they're coming across the line to celebrate a victory. And the Ferrari was already flashing the light but it was pretty much crawling along and then by just the Aston Martin just absolutely blew by and, and came across the line first yeah that must have been a an awkward one for for car guy racing yeah certainly a tough one to swallow especially after the triple seven had looked so fast the whole weekend long we saw a pair of rounds for ADAC GT Masters at the Lausitz Ring as well. The winner in race one was the number 91 Team Yost Sportswagen Technik Porsche of Christian Engelhardt and Ian Chenguven. In a race two, it was the number one Monteplast by Land Motorsport Audi of Tim Zimmerman and Christopher Meese, who took the 50th series win for Audi and ADAC GT Masters. As always, you can read all about everything that happened on track and more in our weekly racing roundup over on sportscar365.com. Davey, let's dive into the news of the week, and we've got some really interesting headlines for you. First, at Car Week this past week in Monterey, Acura has finally unveiled their 2023 LMDH Challenger with, finally, some technical specifications. The camouflage is gone, and we know what's behind the driver's seat. It's a 2.4-liter twin-turbocharged V6 that will be paired with the spec hybrid unit. It certainly is beautiful, and it's neat to see some of the carryovers from the DPI car making their way onto the LMDH car. Acura should be coming out swinging here when they debut in Daytona. Yeah, it's a looker, isn't it? It's it's sort of the final bit of curtain has been pulled back on that car because we've seen it quite a bit in renders and in rollout and testing videos. But um, yeah, it's cool to finally have sort of the group complete now and um yeah one of my favorite events in in all of sort of car culture is, is the monterey car week so i don't think they could have picked a better spot to 
to sort of finally show that car. Um, the ARX 06, which is not a very surprising name. I think we already knew it was going to be called the 06. So um, pretty uh, obviously successor to the uh, highly successful ARX 05. Like you said, a smaller engine. That's the thing notable to me where the the DPI was always, we're still powered by a three and a half litre V6. And now, um, yeah, quite a lot smaller. Um, smallest engine um, that HPD has produced for an endurance racing car uh, so far. And it is also, by quite some margin, actually, the smallest engine in the LMDH group uh, compared to 4.6 litres in Porsche's twin-turbo V8, um, 4 litres in the uh, V8 from BMW, and 5.5 litres in the V8 from Cadillac. So all quite large V8 against one not-so-very-large um, V6 engine. Very true, but this V6 will be a screamer. It's set to reach the maximum 10,000 RPM limit set by the regulation, so it should be a thing of beauty to hear. Yeah, so the, you know, race cars with high ref limits are the best race cars. That's just a fact that I think we can all agree on. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Some interesting design elements as well. Uh, something that was kind of born in the computer software design as well is the hidden wing mirrors. If you look at the car from the side, you can't really see them. They're kind of tucked under the outlets behind the tires. And that's an interesting one too that should reduce drag but still accomplish having a mirror and allowing the driver some visibility. I know race car side mirrors aren't all that useful to the driver, but still fits the regulations and reduces a little bit of drag. Yeah, it reminds me of the Toyota LMP1 car, the TSO50, um, which interestingly enough, last weekend I had an in-depth look at because it's now on permanent display in a museum not too far from me where those mirrors are even more obscure to into the wheel arch and this is sort of similar where of course when you have sort of normal wing mirrors it sort of really disturbs the airflow whereas this has been really like you said tucked in very quite neatly um so yeah that's a very neat bit of design and what i also like is that they've carried over that very distinctive sort of front end with the sort of bridge you can almost call it um over the over the nose which was introduced for the ARX 05. That's been sort of, a, I guess that's the sort of the signature look for Acura. So it's very good to see that that's been um, carried over as well onto this car, which looks extremely sort of, it's very sleek and it's a great looking car. So some sort of real life pictures from from the Quail at, at Monterey. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a looker. BMW also in the news this week. They have completed a five-day test for their new LMDH car in Barcelona. The first time that the BMW has been at a grade one FIA regulated track. Sheldon Vandalinda, Augusto Farfus, Marco Whitman, and Nick Yellowly all drove the car. They said that they were focused on performance development as well as fixing some just minor issues that come with any new race car. And the car is set to come stateside next month for homologation and testing, so we're excited to see it here on our side of the pond. As we know, uh, Team RLL will be running a pair of cars in GTP next season, but a long test for BMW, undoubtedly a lot of miles and a lot of great data. Yeah, and notably as well, a couple of drivers that haven't driven it previously got behind the wheel. We knew that the shakedown took place in Italy with um, Sheldon van der Linde and Conor Di Filippi at the wheel. Uh, but now here at uh, Barcelona, uh, three new names that have driven the car, notably being Augusto Farfus, Marco Whitman and Nick Yellowly. So that's a pretty clear indication that these guys will be involved in the program moving forward. Um yeah, it's 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 very important to sort of not get that first major um, te- test out of the way on the proper proper racing track. Like you said, it won't be too long before that car 
starts going over the pond, especially because we know that there's a couple of um, sanction tests that are still due to be completed later this year, which I'm pretty sure uh, uh, not just BMW will want to be at, but I think IMSA will want to BMW to be there to gather that oh-so-important data for balance of performance parameters as we uh, head into 2023. Absolutely. That that will be fantastic, really, uh, after Petit Le Mans to see everybody, hopefully everybody, on track at the same time. And I'm sure for the manufacturers, they're eager to see what their competitors brought as well. Yeah, so, uh, I, I'm very curious to see what that's going to be like. I should be there at, the, at that test, uh, the, the, I think it's two days after Petit. Um, yeah, all, all together. So are they all going to be sort of looking over each other's shoulder of course what we know is that uh, this this lmdh formula has brought along a sort of unprecedented level of cooperation between manufacturers so they already know um i think more about their uh, competitors at this point in time than in any sort of comparable situation in other racing series so it's it's going to be an interesting one that joint test sort of the first one i think everybody will be present because we knew we've we we already had one of those tests at at sebring but um of course back then um the acura and the bmw one day i was just kind of like in porsche for that uh, test in florida It'll certainly be very exciting to watch, and we'll keep you updated with as much news as possible over on sportscar365.com. A special centenary trophy will be awarded to the winners of the 2023-24 Hours of Le Mans. The ACO presented the beautiful trophy at the Concourse d'Elegance at Pebble Beach, again, for Car Week in Monterey. It's got this neat spiral design with names of notable previous Le Mans winners dating all the way back to 1923 for the first official running. The trophy will be displayed at a couple of events and uh, locations before being brought to the Circuit de la Sarthe next summer. And this is a really interesting one too, a little extra incentive for a very special race. Yeah, it's, I think it's a great looking uh, trophy. It's made of bronze and like you said, the sort of spiral, it's completely different compared to what we have become used to with the 24 hours of Le Mans trophy that sort of four pillared sort of behemoth this is also quite a significant size for a trophy um, it's one and a half meters tall and Jonathan you'll be able to probably translate that to into feet and inches a lot better than I can but it's not a small trophy by any chance as we sort of become known to for Le Mans um, like you said various events pretty significant events as well um, it was at Pebble Beach then it will be going to um, the Goodwood Revival in September, followed by a very high profile, which can always sort of is sort of the French version of Pebble Beach, is called Chantilly Art and Elegance at a beautiful castle about an hour outside of Paris. I've been there uh, three years ago. Very good event to display that trophy. And then, interesting stop as well, November 12th, the eight hours of Bahrain, the season finale for this year's FIA World Endurance Championship. I guess there's sort of a little tease for teams there that we'll be going, look, this is what you'll be able to race for next year. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll all be dying to see it. As you said, a meter and a half is just shy of five feet, so a significant size for the trophy. Uh, it certainly will be hard to miss. And the ACO, along with the, the trophy announcement, has also announced that there will be a special car auction happening at Le Mans in 2023 for, quote, one-of-a-kind vehicles. We know Elantia LC2, chassis number 00 005 will be up for grabs there so if you've got your checkbook ready bring it to france uh, that will certainly be joined by what i'm sure will be a huge collection of wildly rare endurance racing cars you know if i think if i start saving now i might just be able to guy to get the first bid in and then get overbid by like three million euros or pounds or dollars or whatever so maybe that'll 
something I'm going to be striving for. <laughs> we'll all pool our funds and see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> Rene Rast has joined with BMW as a factory driver after a long and fruitful career with Audi. He said it was not an easy decision, but it was the logical step. And this kind of coincides with BMW's LMDH program. And while nothing has been confirmed, you can begin to kind of speculate that it might be the direction he's looking. He does have LMP1 experience before, but this is a big change for Rene Rast. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big change, not just for Rast, for Audi as well. He's been such an instrumental driver for them. Um, if you look at the list of races that um, Rene Rast has won for Audi, not just three DTM championship, I think he's the most most driver, the most race wins in championship history now. Um, but he's also won the 24 hours of Spa. He's won the Nürburgring 24 hours. He won the Rolex 24 at Daytona all in Audi GT3 cars. He's been an absolute superstar for them. So I'm sure it's a big, big loss for them to see them go. Um, but it's not much of a surprise, is it? it, it, it these drivers, they want to be in LMDH. Obviously, they want to be in the, in the top class. And, and you know, if, if Audi is... is as it is now, pretty much, I think it's sealed now. Um, not going to be able to give them that. Then uh, you can't blame them for looking elsewhere, obviously. And and it's an interesting one because um, there's a little bit of a reunion there, where um, Andreas Roos, who's now the head of BMW Motorsport, was of course previously involved with Audi. So um, he's now going to be reunited with Roos. I wouldn't be surprised if that had a little bit of a role to play. Uh, in him choosing that particular manufacturer because there is already that existing relationship. Um, yeah, it's it's a, an absolute brilliant signing from BMW, I think. And in, in we we know he's also quick in prototypes. He's been quite impressive in WEC this year in, in LMP2. Um, like you said, has done a Le Mans and LMP1 cars before. So yeah, I'm sure they'll be very, very happy in Munich right about now. I think you said it there, Davey. BMW has nabbed one of the best in the business, and, and this is a huge move for Rene, a huge move for BMW, and certainly a pairing that we're excited to see how it all plays out when it finally unfolds. Yeah, it's going to be a bit weird to see him in, because I'm going to presume he's probably going to stay in DTM next year as well, alongside whatever he might do in 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 prototypes. So it's going to be a bit weird to inevitably go to a DTM post-race press conference with Rene Rassin sitting in the middle seat and not wearing an Audi overall, but wearing an overall with a BMW logo on it. That's going to be a bit of a sight for sore eyes once it happens for the first time, I think. Oh, absolutely. We mentioned the big change. It's a big change for fans as well, since I think 2001 it's been since he's had this relationship with Audi. Pretty monumental step here. Ranger van der Zander has been confirmed to replace Nico Muller at the World Endurance Championship round in Fuji. Muller prioritizing the DTM round at Spa. Van der Zander will partner with Chip Ganassi racing teammate Sebastian Bourdais alongside Ryan Cullen in the Vector Sport LMP2 car. And the two-time Rolex 24 Hours a Daytona winner has made his last World Endurance Championship entry at the final round of last season. But he's also tested at Fuji in a Super Formula car. And of course, the familiarity with Bourdais should make this a very competitive Vector Sport entry. Yeah, it's probably considering that relationship that he has with Balday in in the Imsworth Sports Car Championship might be the best guy they could have gotten because he's already raced um, LMP2s more than a, a fair few times, um, including a full season last year with Inter Europol competition. So he knows his way around an Oracle 07. 
This is very around the championship here, lining up with somebody who he's more than familiar with. He's, I think, an absolutely stellar move from, from Vector Sports. The, the way there was a quote from uh, from Gary Holland, the uh, team team principal, who said, quote, we are very grateful to both Cadillac Racing and Chip Ganassi Racing for releasing Renger to be with us for one round. So I think there was a little bit of contract negotiations with uh, with the United States to get it done, I think. Uh, Davey, you wrote a great article on this. Uh, Grasser Racing Team is hoping to join in Sebring and Daytona for next year. And this ties into a listener question we'll be answering in just a moment. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, I, I had a, phone, a very pleasant phone call with uh, none other than Mr. Gottfried Grasser himself earlier in the week. Um, we know that for this year, um, they have basically put all of their eggs into one basket, which is DTM. They sort of pushed aside all of their other programs in IMSA, in ADAC GT Masters, and in the Final Attack GT World Challenge Europe, powered by AWS, to purely focus on DTM. And it's been going very well for them, because if you look at the championship standings right now, Mika Bothworth is the championship leader at halfway. So that's a very, very you know, positive thing for them. But I asked him, you've done just one championship, so is there, do you think there is room for something else? And he basically said, yeah, um, because we know that the DTM season ends in October and it's likely to begin again in April, that leaves you with about five months, I think it is, where there's basically nothing happening. And he said, well, we, we really, really like IMSA. So we would love to go back to uh, to, to Daytona and to Sebring because those events, the, the way they're placed in 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 sort of the, the grand scheme of things in terms of calendars, it makes it possible and also beneficial for a team like that to do those races, um, especially considering in, in Daytona, we're going to see the um, pretty much the major endurance debut of the uh, new uh, Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2. So it's very, I think it's going to be very important for Lamborghini to have a presence on the grid there. So, you know, who better than Grasso, who let's not forget, won uh, the GTD class in that race two years in a row in 2018 and 2019. Well, we know what a powerhouse the Grasser Racing team is in sports car racing, so I'm certainly excited to see what they can do in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship if they do, in fact, decide to come back and race stateside again. Yep, indeed. Uh, it, it's a great team, and, and they know really know what to do. Um, they they will also be back in DTM with likely four cars. Uh, Grasser said that that is sort of their goal, and they have the structure, so I yeah, it, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if they were to continue with that four-car operation which they are still the largest team in DTM currently. We have a couple of three-car teams, lots of two-car teams, but yeah, they are the only ones to run four uh, different cars out of the same garage. As always, you can read all about all of the headlines we've discussed on today's show and more over on sportscar365.com. Davey, let's dive into answering some listener questions. And the first one I want to bring up from Shea Samuels ties pretty perfectly into what we were just talking about. It's a two-part question. We'll answer the first part first here. Assuming Lamborghini LMDH will race in IMSA, what team do you think will run it? The only options I can think of here are Grasser and K-Pax. And, okay, let's dive into this a little bit. Grasser Racing has had history in IMSA. We know K-Pax is doing great in SRO and G2 World Challenge America, powered by AWS. Mirko Bordelotti, obviously in DTM. Andrea Caldarelli with GT World Challenge. A couple really, really good options here. Yeah, um... Well, the interesting thing there is is that um, it's good to sort of understand that 
Lamborghini's way of doing LMDH is not the same as as other uh, teams would do. And the key difference there is that instead of a, a full factory effort where, say, let's like BMW Team RLL, for example, Lamborghini is looking for somebody to bring the finances. Um, so it, it all depends on who wants to pay um, on, on that front. Um, and and it's interesting that you say, assuming that the Lamborghini LMDH will race in IMSA, um, I've actually just sort of gone back to the announcement from May, and I believe that it is the plan for them to race in IMSA. Um, that's the article that Dan, Daniel Lloyd wrote about in May, where he does say that it will be competing in IMSA. So I guess they will be. Um, yeah, the question is who who's gonna be, who's it gonna be? I don't have an answer to be completely honest with you. Um, I can sort of see both teams doing it. Um, maybe Grasso slightly less because they are so completely focused on on the DTM stuff, and the two races in in the beginning of the year are sort of more of an, a little excursion for them. So that in my mind rules them out um especially if if the dtm effort is a sort of a long-term program for them kpax would be a more likely candidate in that front but you know would they be willing to you know bring the money that's the big question the second part of shay's question revolves around something a little bit more subjective shay asks since we now have a good view of most of the challengers so far which one of the crop is your personal favorite? And this is referring to the LMDH cars. There's some interesting powertrain solutions on display from Acura, uh, and that's Shay's personal favorite. Davey, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Oh, that's a, that's a tr- tricky one because they all they all have something which really appeals to me. The Cadillac um, looks really sleek compared to its DPI predecessor, which I guess is the same thing for the Acura, um, which I that smaller engine similar to Shay quite intrigues me. The BMW, just because it's such a unique car, but then there's the Porsche, which I am a massive racing history nerd, and that car being called 963 also really floats my boat. So it's really difficult for me to pick one. But if I have to pick one, um, it's probably going to be the Porsche. I'm just a bit of a Porsche fanboy. So, yeah, probably that. Well, it certainly adds to it that the livery they're going to run next year looks amazing as well. That white and red, that historic throwback as well on on that front. It just looks spectacular. Well, what about you? What's your favorite? Boy, that is a tough one. I think for me, I'm in love with whatever LMDH car is out at the moment or it was just (laughs) unveiled. I know I, I certainly felt that way about the BMW when it came out. I was just enthralled by the unique design. It looks so distinctive and so BMW, and I love the kidney grills and and how they managed to put that bit of brand identity in there. I'm also a big fan of the fact that they're horizontal and not vertical on the race car. I think that's a huge one. Um, Yeah, I I think it just looks great. So that's, for me, a personal favorite. But I also am very intrigued by this new Acura. I'm not sure if it's just because it's it's kind of brand spanking new, but I, I love the arrow on it. I think it looks fantastic. I'm intrigued by their kind of creative powertrain solution. I think it's going to be really interesting. So for me, it's kind of a tie between the new BMW and the Acura. Yeah, I also disagree with that. With uh, with that, to be honest with you. Our next question comes from the Z-Man97, who asks, is there any word from Acura from their LMDH car if it will race in the World Endurance Championships? Since, as stated in the previous podcast, the ACO is putting an emphasis on the World Endurance Championship entries for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, I'd love to see Wayne Taylor racing and Meyer Shank racing down at the Circuit de la Sarthe. 
nothing that we can really speak to yet. Uh, I think for now, it's probably one of those scenarios where Acura is just trying to see uh, what they can do in one championship before eventually expanding, if that's the plan. And you got to assume for a company as, as large and successful as Acura, Le Mans probably is on the radar at some point. Well, certainly not for next year. Um, they've ruled that out. I think that came out over would have been the Le Mans weekend, I think it was, where they said that we are definitely not doing it in 2023, but 2024 will remain. I think the quote was a possibility or an option, something like that. Um, I believe both team owners, and this is kind of a key little thing, um, want to do it, um, want to go to Le Mans. Wayne Taylor, I think, has once said it to me personally that that is something that he really wants to do because, as you may remember, I think he's a class winner as a driver. Uh, 1990, I'm going to say 1999, I might be wrong, but um, he won it as a driver in class, so he still has that sort of want to do it. Um, is he going to be as part of a full-season effort or as a one-off entry? Is really difficult to say at this moment. I think what also sort of needs to be taken into consideration is the fact that Acura is an American brand, doesn't get sold um, anywhere else in the world, maybe Canada, but I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, it doesn't get sold in any of the other countries that the WEC races in. So would that car still be going over the pond as an Acura or would it be rebranded as a Honda? I, you know, that that's might be something that might have to consider, but yeah, like I said, I think it's too early for us to make any sort of, concrete statements saying yeah that we'll do it because we we simply don't know at this point that's a very good point obviously the marketing consideration is huge you huge you have to justify it from a sales perspective as well what car are you putting in front of a potential market uh we've talked about this a little bit with peugeot potentially making the leap over to imsa and what that would look like if they would rebrand under something and the uh, stellantis umbrella um, but for now as you said it's been ruled out remember too this is just the first year of the so-called golden era it's it's gonna hopefully last for a while and down the road in coming years there will be plenty of opportunities for programs to change and expand as they see fit yeah exactly i mean it's easy to sort of leap onto 2023 and immediately want everything but like i said this is going to be something for the long run um we know that 2024 is even going to be even more intense and who knows what's going to happen in 2025 so there's still plenty of time to see how this all plays out our last question comes from Jeff B., who put a long question in there. I'll try to condense it as, as best we can, basically stating that uh, IMSA seems to have a hard limit of 73 hours of competition per season. Uh, and so the question is is essentially, how long do you think the longer Indianapolis race is going to be in terms of that overall kind of time limit? And where will those minutes come from? Will they have to trim another event to stay close? And, and how is that all going to work? I, I think really the only solution is they're going to have to go beyond the 73 hours. Yes, it may cost a a little bit more, but IMSA as a championship can try to maybe cut back in, in other aspects in terms of cost uh, down the road. I know that's been a huge consideration in the LMDH regulations, although it's still very expensive, but cost has certainly been a, a huge consideration within the championship. But really, in regards to the hours of competition, I think they're just going to have to go beyond that. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and I think John de Guise would probably be a little bit more well qualified to answer this than I am. But I'm just going to grab back to an article that that we posted on back before the um, the announcement was made for the sprint race next year, and then the endurance race after that, um, where this is a particular quote, um, a, a particular paragraph from that story where the likely enduro has been quote rumored to feature a unique race length 
Um, now, should be noted that this uh, story came out in May. It's been a while, so it could very well be that things have changed. But I think I floated this. We we discussed this very topic in a in a previous episode that we did, Jonathan, where um, I sort of did the math. Where well, if it's going to be a unique race length, pretty much the only thing that's going to be left, as far as I'm aware, is eight hours. Um, because we have a 24-hour race in Daytona, we have the 12 hours of Sebring, then Watkins Glen is a six-hour race, and then Motul Petit Le Mans is 10 hours. So that, to me, just leaves eight hours. And yeah, I think, doing the quick math in my head, that would put us beyond the 73-hour limit, as far as I'm aware. So would that be able to be stretched? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like I said, I don't know as much about this as John does, but you know, doing the math in my head, I suppose it would be. Yeah, and of course, if if the eight hours of Indianapolis sounds familiar, it's because it's a current SRO round where they're headed to to end the season this year. Uh, And so I know Jeff kind of brought this up in the question as well, how it would be perceived if IMSA's round was a a lesser value than the SRO, say if it was the six hours or the five hours of Indianapolis. Would that be seen from a fan perspective as less? Well, if you make it an eight-hour race, they're dead equal. Yeah, that's that's an argument that I think can be sort of taken from both sides because I think Roger Penske sees the IMSA race as sort of on a different level because it is a, a multi-class race, whereas um, you know SRO, the SRO race is is well, it was GT3, GT4 last year, but I think they're just going to do GT3 next year, if I'm not mistaken. So it it is very much a GT only race. That's no matter regardless of which categories will or will not race. Um, so it, it there will be on sort of slightly different wavelengths in that regard. So. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. We'll have to see again, sort of similar to the previous question. We'll just have to go after wait and see. We don't really have the answers right now. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, we know that Roger Penske is is heavily invested, figuratively and literally, in, in making this happen. And uh, the longer endurance race uh, certainly is is happening at Indianapolis eventually. Uh, the exact length, though, as you said, Davey, we'll we'll have to wait and see. As always, we appreciate you writing in your questions. We love answering them on the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comments section below this episode or take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint and we'll put our heads together to answer your question in an upcoming episode. Before we let you go, let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. The big one is the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship round at VIR. It's 18 entries, GT cars only, and notably, Magnus Racing and Team Hardpoint are back. Yes, they are. Very nice to see them back. Um, Yeah, the final GT only race of 2022 at a track that always throws up some uh, pretty interesting stuff. Um, Good to see the two teams uh, back uh it's been a while i think hardpoint sort of sort of culted their campaign i believe after the sort of early endurance rounds and magnus was originally is an uh an endurance only team but i think they sort of this one was i think was quite close to their home base i believe so they just went well we might as well go and do this um which is i think is a great attitude to just go yeah well we have a car we can get there so why not race It'll be the final round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sprint Cup as well, so certainly a lot to play for there ahead of Motul Petit Le Mans. The European Le Mans series is in action as well at Barcelona, and that series always produces something exciting, Davey. Yep, um, indeed, that was last. they've been on a bit of a break because it's been quite a while since their last race, which was uh, Monza. As you may remember, that was a week before the World Endurance Championship race, and that was back in, I think, July. I think it was. It's, it's been quite some time before we've been since we've been there. Um, so yeah, it, it, 
it's always a great series. Multi-class racing always throws up something exciting. Uh, it, it, can somebody sort of nibble into the Premier's Championship lead? Because they are, if they maintain sort of the course they've been on, they're looking very strong for a debut title. They lead the championship having won the first two races. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen there. And wouldn't that be something? Prema has come out swinging for sure in ELMS. DTM will visit the Nürburgring as well, and we'll see Super GT at Suzuka. And as always, you can follow all the racing action over on sportscar365.com. Well, that's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Davey Ovama, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.